Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations. Well, uh, women who are going through treatment for cancer or are, you know, completed, have completed their cancer treatment are very likely to be concerned about their self-image, their sexuality and sexual activities. And it's very common for women with cancer to struggle with their body image and have less desires for sexual intimacy. And even sometimes they find penetration during sexual activities to become painful. And this is why this evening we have decided to speak about women's sexuality during and after cancer treatment. A-teamers, I'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts? What are your questions? Perhaps you've gone through uh, cancer treatment or you've just started. Share your experience with us and ask your questions around your sexuality, your sensuality, your image as a woman. And uh, maybe we can also open up to the men. How are you, um, you know, supporting your partner intimately when it comes to um, a partner that is currently facing something like um, a great disease like a cancer, uh, whether it's during treatment or after treatment, sometimes there are procedures that are done that can alter the way a woman looks. So that's what we are discussing with our A-team doctor, Prithi Ramlakan, who is the past president of the African Society for Sexual Medicine, and he's a current practicing medical practitioner. Dr. Ramlakan, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Dr. Ramlakan. Oh, we all good on your side. Everything's good. Oh, everything is awesome. Always such a pleasure having you on air. We've missed you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks. We like to make sure that everybody in this world joins the ranks of being pleasured and happy and satisfied and I think if if we can just do that for the world it'll be a happier place for everyone. I definitely do agree with you Dr. Ramlakan. Dr. Ramlakan you know Cancer is one of those uh, that uh, are dread diseases that affects you mentally, physically, but also sensually and sexually. So for a lot of women who have undergone any form of cancer, whether it be cervical cancer, um, uh, breast cancer, blood cancer, whatever the cancer it may be, I can imagine the devastating impact that this woman might be facing emotionally and physically. But what are some of the concerns that arise, especially sexually, for women who are undergoing cancer treatment or who have just completed their treatment? I think the starting point is, is when we look at cancer. So remembering always that when we look at sexuality and cancer, it's actually sexuality gets disturbed from the cancer and its treatment, sometimes more from the treatment than actually the cancer itself. And, and the key is that when you look at what happens to the patient and the partner, and they all suddenly have shock, and they're distressed, and they have anxiety, and they have fear, and they feel depressed, and they're in denial, and it really starts to impact where they are in this process of how or will they survive the cancer. And, and therefore, our major process that we see happening is that once patients overcome cancer, then they start to say, okay, 
about my sexuality. Mm. But before that, they're in this fight to 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 get over the cancer and what is happening around them. And that is why we always say that we are on a mission uh, in Africa to bring cancer care from a psychosocial and sexual point of view to all cancer patients because it is a missing link in cancer therapy, which is a large unmet need. And when we start to look at how our patients with cancer are treated in Africa, especially, and I'll take the whole of Africa, South Africa, in certain parts get excellent care versus other areas that don't get excellent care. And remembering that our patients are impacted by by their by their culture, their religion, their, their place in society, the economic impact of cancer on their lives, all of that starts to feed into the psychosocial difficulties that they are faced with. And, and and then we see how they come forward and want to be sexual again. And the figures are quite alarming. I mean, if you look at breast cancer, in women with breast cancer, 70%, 70% of women will report sexual dysfunction. And the largest risk factors for that would be mainly in women who are postmenopausal, but also in women who are premenopausal or younger, who get menopausal because of the treatment that they use for the breast cancer. And, and in that case, they're using what we call aromatase inhibitors, which are the drugs we use in cancer patients with the breast. And the body image issues that come about once there is surgery or radiotherapy for the breast cancer starts to give us a higher rate of sexual dysfunction. And whenever the woman is a survivor, so in this world of a survivor, what does it mean for the survivor? How do they see themselves? How, how do they view themselves? How do they see themselves viewed by their partner? How do they date after cancer? How do you fulfill the sexual needs of you and your partner after cancer, and all these questions start to come to the patient and really impact them greatly. So it is quite a, a turning point, but once patients survive, for them to become sexual again takes a whole lot of the new therapy, and the new therapy is linked to how we teach them to be sexual again. Goes a long way in how mm. we change it. So there, th- there needs to be uh, some sort of sexual healing, if I may steal the words of Marvin Gaye, for any mm. patient that has uh, undergone or is currently undergoing a cancer treatment. But this sexual healing is not something that is readily available, Doctor Ramdekan, especially for women who are faced with cancer. Well, you know what you say is absolutely correct, and that is why. We actually uh, have, together as a group at the African Society of Sexual Medicine, we've, we, we've designed what we call a cancer care pathway that looks at how we can address the needs of our patients using whatever we have available. Because remember, 
resources are not readily available in Africa and South Africa, in every corner of South Africa or Africa. And we use, uh, and I want to just say that we, we, we are pushing this quite a lot, and we use what is called the five A's framework. So the, the A's are about ask the patient about their sexual health. So you don't have to be somebody who's very qualified to ask about the patient's sexual health. You, 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 you can ask about it even if you're just a care worker. You don't have to be some uh, sexual psychologist or somebody of that nature. And if you start to ask, then the next thing you will do is advise them that help is available, that we can help you, that we can help you if you have a sexual difficulty. And then assessing what the problems are, and we know that the problems in any patient who has a cancer from a sexual point of view will always have problems of body image, sexual response, differences in what is happening in their intimacy and their relationships, whether they're having problems with sexual function and satisfaction, and then they get all the dryness in the vaginal areas and the genital symptoms that they get from radiotherapy and the use of hormones, and then the vasomotor, the hot flushes symptoms they get because of the therapy that comes with chemotherapy and other hormones that we use or anti-hormones that we use. And therefore, we take them through the process of the five A's. And, uh, and like I said, you don't have to be a qualified sexual therapist to ask patients to move along because the next step is once you've asked and you've advised and you're asking them, assessing it, the next thing you will do is you'll assist them and say, look, we can help you. We can help you with educational material, material to read, material to read with your partner as to how we get you sexual again, and arrange for that to happen. So once you start to, to bring about this simple conversation, you give them a chance to actually start to heal again and become sexual again. And, and balance what I call the factors that don't inhibit sex. So all the things that inhibit sex, you remove them. All the things that enhance or and make sex so much better, you bring to the table. But you allow the couple to actually rediscover their sexuality. And that is what helps them quite nicely in this I'll call it a psychoeducation, if I may, may use that word. It's a psychoeducation about cancer, the relationship, and the sexuality as three parts of a pillar standing together. The five A's seem very, very critical. A-teamers, we are talking to Dr. Prithi Ramlakan, and uh, the topic of discussion on our Closet Conversation is women's sexuality and sensuality during and after cancer treatment. I'd love to hear from you. Please join in on the conversation by dialing in on 011-714-2006. Give us your experience. Ask your questions. You can also send uh, messages and voice notes to 614 and SMSs go to 41391. I'm going to come to your messages just now. 
Doc, you were mentioning that the cancer treatment can alter the hormones and the balances and therefore, uh, you know, change even sometimes, you know, the, 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 the vagina and whether it becomes dry and sometimes becomes painful. In that case, would a woman need to wait until after treatment of cancer to start maybe, you know, counteracting or healing their sexual lives in terms of the vagina dryness or the hormonal imbalance? So we create a balance, and that is why there is a rule now that we have created that a member of the cancer team must talk to the patient about sexuality at the beginning when you diagnose the cancer and say, look, we are here. So offer them the five A's up front. And the reason for that is then people know or patients know what is expected to happen in the coming months. So we talk about the gynecological cancers and then the non-gynecological cancers. So when we look at people, they think only about the gynecological cancers and think, oh, well, if I've got cervical cancer, or I've got the cancer of the womb, or if I've got vaginal cancer, or cancer of the vulva, or the bladder, or the rectum, and anything in the pelvic area, then that area is interfering with the same is with men and their prostate cancer. So if there's interference in the region of the pelvis, remember there'll be operations. There'll be radiation, there'll be scarring, there'll be fibrosis, etc. that's going to occur. But that does not mean that we can stop our degree of closeness or comfort or communication in that time. Remembering that if I look at the woman, she's going to say, well, my partner might want to penetrate me, but I'm still healing. So therefore, the partner himself, and we've seen this quite a lot, the partner himself is scared sometimes to say that if I sleep with my partner, I might get the radiation onto my penis, mm. and therefore I might have a problem. So all of that has to be explained, that that won't come to you. But we're saying that if you share that intimacy and closeness and bring that together as a unit, you will actually move forward would sexuality want you to heal in a better way because the touching has not stopped. What happens is couples start to stop touching. And the touching stops because women themselves have a feeling of unattractiveness. They have a problem of negative body image. They have this loss or lack of femininity, which is there. And therefore, they worry. The second thing they worry is that if I have radiotherapy, which is going to scar my vagina, and they be told about it, the vagina might get very tight and therefore will cause problems with intercourse if I attempt it. If they are told that we can assist them after that with post-therapy use of dilators, with the use of lubrication, with the use of moisturizers, they feel and they know that there is hope to continue with that process and therefore one can take them on that journey. So it's a narrative where we take the journey together with the patient, bring them through 
and start to help them through. Because remember that in that time that if it's a woman who has cancer, the partner, the man, now also becomes a caregiver. Mm. He has to tend for all her needs. And the tending or caring sometimes passes just the normal limit of caring that the couple had shared previously in that. And therefore, sex can become a problem. But if the touching does not stop, it maintains that intimacy that they have in their relationship. You know, Doc, sometimes we take it for granted the fact that when a woman is experiencing um, any sort of uh, health issues and uh, it affects her sexuality, we take it for granted that men also suffer from this. And this uh, question here from Temba, who's in Kimberley, is one that is very relevant. It says, how can the husband assist in his wife's sexual healing? And of course, with the doctor's advice. So what we what we what we try to do, and I'm going to say try, and the reason why we say try is that sometimes it, it it's difficult to get a couple going through or a patient going through a cancer treatment while they're still in what I'm calling the treatment repair phase. They're not sure if the cancer has quietened down and the survival rate is better. We try to get them into a couple process, and like I said. In that couple's process, we, we, we bring them together and say, what is their view on coping with the illness that they have on hand? And then we look to see what their sexuality and intimacy was even before they started their cancer treatment or the diagnosis of cancer. Because remember, if we don't know what it was like before, we might be trying to bring on a utopia which has never existed, and therefore we might be back. In fact, the cancer sometimes is the impetus to create a new we. And, and, and we see this happening where couples suddenly realize, wait a minute, this is a new us. So we better rediscover our world and start a new we, or sometimes a new me, where the, the woman says, I want to be a new person. I've survived this cancer. And I will take it. So we get the couples together. We look at what their sexuality was before the treatment and what it's going to look like after the treatment between themselves. And then we see what their communication style is in the relationship and how they cope with that. And we also look to see what support they need to take this load and build up on the relationship. And that gives us a nice idea as to how we can take them through all the remedies available and therapies available for sexual dysfunction and how the man can now support his partner by bringing about a feeling that, look, we are now back to near normal. And we see lots of patterns happening, Patricia. We rarely see this where the couple quits sex completely. It never happens again. Sure. Or they only have sensual intimacy. That means there's no penile vaginal sex or genital sex because it's either impossible or unable to be had or too painful or too dreadful, etc. that it doesn't happen. But also, 
Although some of them have an intensifying of sex as being, hey, let's get the rewards of this new life we have together. In some of them, a desperate, aggressive sexual pattern where sex becomes a new, desperate way of saying, I'm alive. So there's many patterns that you will see happening in the couple. And therefore, we try to explore where they want to go how they see their process going forward, and then teach them how to balance the methods that we spoke about, where we look at what are the things inhibiting your intimacy and what are the things stimulating your intimacy, and how we build up and increase the stimulating factors and decrease the inhibiting factors. So, Doc, when it comes to this uh, sexual healing for uh, um, uh, patients who are undergoing treatment for cancer or who have completed it, them and their partners, clearly it's not a one-size-fits-all. But I, I heard you speaking about near-normal, going back to near-normal in their sexual activity. Does it mean that normal for them, whatever that might mean, will not be something achievable? Or is that dependent on the sort of treatment or the sort of cancer that the woman um, encountered? Okay, so the challenge to the couple would be, Patricia, is do they believe that the situation is changeable? And would they like to change it or not? Very important question, because remember, we're dealing with a new normal a new life, a new body, a new image, a new feeling, a new uh, fantasizing because I might not be able to fantasize erotically because I've had the whole of my vulva removed and therefore because of cancer, etc. And therefore I don't have that sensuous thrilling feeling that you get when I get aroused and I don't have that lovely, beautiful feeling in my pants when... I want to be sexual. But they will create that because they're doing it together. And when you start to see that, they start to see that they can still be sexual with a new process and the new normal that they establish. But the challenge lies in the fact that they must be able to work out that the situation is changeable to establish a new norm for them in the new process of healing that's happening from the cancer that is there. And to remove a few of the myths, and the myth that sex must be spontaneous is once you heal and I'm a survivor, okay, we can have sex now. (laughs) That is not what must be propagated or promulgated or thought about or fantasized about because once you do that, what happens is the poor patient now suddenly is stuck in a dogma, and that becomes a problem for them. A-team, as we are talking about a woman's sensuality and sexuality during and after cancer treatment, perhaps you've got some questions. Um, you can remain anonymous. Remember that this is the Closet Conversation. Dr. Prithi Ramlikan is our guest, and you can call in on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp 614 SMSs go to 41391. Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Closet Conversations. <laughs>
We are in conversation with Dr. Prithi Ramlakan, who's the past president of the African Society for Sexual Medicine and a current practicing medical practitioner. Our discussion is around women's sexuality and sensuality during and after cancer treatment. And of course, it brings in their partners, whether they're in heterosexual or homosexual relationships, and how their partners can better support them and also better prepare themselves for the changes that might occur during sex and uh, their intimate time. Call in on 011-714-2006 for any questions or comments. You can also send a WhatsApp on 0614-104-107 or send an SMS to 41391. Dr. Ramlakan, when it comes to coping with uh, the changes that your vagina encounters during and after cancer treatment, what are some of the changes? I know you mentioned the vaginal dryness, but what else can a woman expect during and after cancer treatment? So if we have genital cancers, let's say cancer of the cervix or cancer of the vagina, then we know that there will be operative procedures, the vagina will shorten, and, and with the radiation that would be used in that area to for radiotherapy, will make or ensure that fibrosis occurs in that area. The vagina will be shortened, narrowed, and therefore fibrotic, and therefore penetration, etc., might not be possible. The vagina is also interfered by if you had breast cancer and using certain adjuvant therapies like anti-hormones or therapies and, and other aromatase inhibitors, you can get dryness in the vagina because of the induced menopause. Chemotherapy can affect the ovaries and induce menopause and cause vaginal changes. So the whole host of therapies that you use in the different cancers, wherever they are, whether they're in the genital region or without the genital region, can give you impacts on the genital area like the vagina. So that is discussed with the patient before the surgery and told that there will be these changes. And therefore, when it comes to the healing, then one starts to take patients back. You teach them how to use dilators to dilate the vagina again, how to use lubricants and also uh, a little bit of therapy in that area to assist them. And then you teach partners. Now remember, if the vagina is shortened, and shorter, you're going to have a patient's partner, if it's a, it's a heterosexual couple, and if he had a penis that was of a certain length, what's going to happen is you're going to get penetration problems and therefore hurting and therefore pain during sex. So we actually teach men how to create a sleeve on the penis. So we use a sponge donut, I may call it, where we put on a sponge donut and what that does, it now shortens the length of the penis in the center for penetration. So we put on the donut onto the penis, so the part of the penis that is exposed will be the only part that will penetrate and therefore don't cause too much of deep entry and hurt the patient and therefore give them extra pain when yeah, well, that happens. Doc, with that sponge donut, does that not limit the man's pleasure then when he's penetrating into his partner? Right. So, so basically, if you look at that, it will in a way, but the point is that they will at least 
this is the, this is the whole challenging negotiated process. They will be able to have sex again, and that is most important. Otherwise, there will be no sex. Sure. But therefore, it becomes, and they get used to it. So after a while, they get used to it, and they suddenly start to make it the new normal, the new way that they have sex. As if we had a woman who had colon cancer, and she now gets a stoma bag, so one will learn how to overcome being on the top position because you can be sleeping on top of the stoma bag while you're having sex, and that might lead to an accident which might not be comfortable. And then the use of other agents to assist them to be sexual, like a little bit of a support so that they can still have sex and still continue overcoming these other difficulties that you get after cancer. So one can overcome quite a lot if you are into wanting to have that new, really, process of being sexual. And therefore, when you give them sexual tasks like go home, re-explore your partner, use lubrication, use a, a lot of moisturizer so you start to get the vagina moist again, you start to touch again, and that starts to bring about a new feeling in them. Give them some good reading or erotic reading assignments and, and, and show them some stimulating exercises that they can do. Show them the sensual areas. A lot of people have not discovered the sensuality that the body has. They always know the sexual areas. But when they lose the sexual areas, they suddenly realize that there are so many sensual areas in the body that give such great sensation and feeling that they never felt before. So, Doc, I've heard of women who would then want to uh, douche the vaginal area or to get the smell and, you know, it feeling fresh. I've heard of women who will steam their vaginal areas. And I've just heard you talking about vaginal dilators. Are these douches and, uh, and steaming of the vagina any contributors to altering the way the vagina is with or without cancer treatment? Okay, so if we take it without cancer treatment, let's take the practice of vaginal douching, steaming. Uh, and you know that uh, the, the practice of steaming is suddenly gaining a lot of popularity. Most in, definitely. In South Africa, mm. there's a lot of women now who actually are steaming with a few products that they are buying uh, in pharmacies, etc., to say, if you use this product, you won't have vaginal infections anymore. You have better sex. You won't have any more low abdominal pain. You won't have pelvic pain, etc. And the placebo effect is there. And there are women who are saying, "This works for me, doc." And I get that when women come to me and say, "Doc, I've used this. It works beautifully." And I say, "I'm happy if it works for you, but I cannot give you a thorough medical understanding for that because I don't have clinical trials where they've used." medicine and no medicine like placebo and tested it. That's the first thing. The second one is douching has always been something that people made their favorite. And going back to the days of when women said, if I have to clean this vagina, I have to wash it out. So douching has been happening with agents beyond your thought processes where people have been using Dettol 
and Jace Fluid and many other agents which (laughs) you would never even think about. And and I want to tell you that when we did, uh, which I didn't do, but which was done by a group from South Africa, uh, when they did the vaginal practices survey, what they found is women were douching and cleansing with many agents. I mean, alum powder, mm-hmm. Norox. Mm. You would not believe the agents that were used in these vaginal practices. And uh, and we look at, uh, and I think I've mentioned this before in the program, and we looked at what they did in Thailand. And in, in Thailand, in that area where they studied vaginal practices, there is still a practice up to today uh, where women before or on the day of their wedding, so before the nuptial night or before they went to the altar, would go and do a smoking, steaming exercise before they went and got married so that the vagina would be ready that night for the nuptial preparation that would happen that night. So these practices are there. People practice them. Uh, Douching is not a recommended process, even though there are reasons that you might douche now and again, but it is not the recommended process for washing the vagina. But lots of women want to wash, want to cleanse, want to keep their vaginas clean, and they go through that process. Hmm. All right. So these are not recommended, but uh, they are being used. And obviously they could have side effects if they don't have clinical trials and tests that you, as a doctor who practices in sexual medicine, um, is saying, "Mm -mm, not recommended. I'd rather stay away from them, especially the Norox and and the likes. Doc, uh, I'd rather stay safe. So, Doc, when it comes to, you know, getting you know, sexual after cancer, especially for women who have had very visible body changes, whether um, the breast has been cut off or, you know, there's a scar due to an operation or your hair has fallen off, things that are very visible. How does one start the process? And I'm sure it starts with self and then your partner. Well, the important thing about body image is that whenever you look at body image, one has to look at the three aspects that, that come with body image change, and that is the psychology behind that body image change, the physical loss that happened in that body image change, and, and the medical part that happened in that body image change, because we're going to see the woman undergo that body image change which really is causing her all the difficulty that she is seeing at the moment. And when that body image change comes, what happens is we see women start to take on a different uh, approach to it is because what they find is that if the women do not overcome that body image, then they think that they've lost their femininity, they've lost their appearance, they've lost their their, their appeal mm. in, in their partner's uh, 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 look and feeling. And that is when we know that all women will tell you, you know, they'll tell you I'm not a 
sexy, beautiful woman. It takes a lot of work for me to look like a, a sexy woman. So I need to look sexy and getting that lost uh, process in the removal of the breast or change in the vaginal structure or the change in the vulval structure or a change in the hormones in that region, all of that leads to women suddenly saying that once I can get myself to see that I am changed and this change is what my partner and I will negotiate, will take together, will sort out together, then we see them actually moving in the right direction. But if the partner is saying, I married a breast and therefore if I don't have a breast, I'm not going to be happy with my partner, that is when we start to see difficulty. Hmm. And that difficulty stems also going backwards is when we look at how they manage the body image issues, they start to see how they rebuild that process with their partner from an intimacy point of view. So that is where we start to teach them intimacy processes so that they can still be intimate with a missing body part. And therefore, that gives them a new feel that their body is complete, even though there is something missing. And how we do that is we start to take them through a process of enjoying each other again from a physical intimacy point of view, from an emotional intimacy point of view and sharing their desires, and then also from a sensual, erotic, visual point of view. So they re-eroticize the body in its form that it is right now, and therefore it's still that lovely sexual being that they are and always will be. And that's the way we get on top of getting around that because if we don't allow that open communication to occur between the partners, we don't see this lovely healing that can occur in them. Mm, mm. Do, do public health care facilities offer such uh, assistance for those who are going through cancer treatment? Yes, they do. The, the, the difficulty we have that this conversation has to start, Patricia, and this is what we're trying to reawaken. No, uh, we just had the World Association of Sexual Health meeting uh, last week, sorry, on the, on the weekend of the 13th of September, and, and we had the World Association of Sexual Health meeting, which was really from South Africa. It's the first time it came to Africa, but we had to have a virtual meeting because of COVID. But, I mean, we had over 1,700 delegates attending the meeting on, 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 on the virtual channel. And the real launch of what is called the sexual pleasure uh, 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 process came through again with a launch of sexual pleasure is something that needs to be re-looked at in all phases of people's lives. And as public health facilities, and public health facilities have, they have social workers, they have psychologists, they've got uh, cancer nursing sisters, they've got lots of people in the team that can be directed towards that. 
But I think as we increase the the education, the training, uh, and we increase the awareness around sexuality, because as it is, sexuality is not even discussed in normal circumstances in many instances, leave alone cancer. Mm, mm. So we need to start to make the conversation about sexuality in cancer to be a priority for the patient who enters any treatment of cancer. Also, don't forget, we should also talk about fertility in this patient who's entering cancer treatment because some young person who's 22 years old develops ovarian cancer, that patient might want to be having a baby once they recover or survive the cancer. Mm, And we have to talk about fertility in that process before damage occurs to all the tissues from the treatment that we use for the cancer. Doc, I think this has been a very informative uh, time together um, and I know our A-teamers have uh, gleaned from the knowledge and those who are going through uh, treatment uh, for uh, cancer or have finished the treatment are now better equipped to know what to do, both men and women. Thank you very much for joining us. Always such a great pleasure. Thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge. How do we get in touch with you? 031-577-8932 in Durban. Excellent. Dr. Ramlakan, always a pleasure. Have a good evening. Thank you very much, Patricia, and good night. Do enjoy the weekend.